0: 16 you should be there and we begin to read in mark 16 now when the sabbath was passed mary magdalene mary the mother of james and salome bought spices that they might come and anoint him and very early in the morning on the first day of the week they came to the tomb when the sun had risen and so father this morning once again we come to read a familiar portion of scripture that tells us and reminds us and declares to us that Jesus rose from the grave and that he's alive. And this morning, as we cover this uh, chapter, I pray that our hearts would be stirred once again, that we would be reminded, what does it mean for us? And and Lord, how we can live our lives every day rejoicing, even in those times that are difficult and hard. We know that we worship a living God, a, a, a Savior who rose from the grave and conquered death. And so that should cause us this morning to come into this place, and as we hear these words once again, the declaration that he's not here, that, that he is risen from the grave, that we know that he is alive in our hearts and cause us to leave this place just once again in awe and once again just uh, desiring to live in that resurrected life that you have for us. So, Lord, bless this time. May we be free from distractions. And, Lord, just right now, just focus on your word and be attentive to what you have to say to us And it's in Jesus' name that we pray. Amen. So we saw in the previous chapter, chapter 15, Jesus there dying on Calvary's cross, shedding his blood for the remission of sin. And he was also experiencing the wrath of God as all of my sins and your sins were placed upon him. And as he was on that cross, as we read last week in chapter 15, that Jesus would cry out in a loud voice as he's crying out in agony, my God, my God, why have thou forsaken me? And, and at that time, when he was experiencing the sins of the world being placed on him, and, and then he would cry out, it is finished. In other words, the work is done, the price has been paid, he died for our sins, and then he would breathe his last. We know that as we read at the end of the chapter, chapter 15, that there was a group of women that were listed there, that they were gathered at the cross, and these women, being there when Jesus died, being there as they would watch him suffer for Uh, the sins of the world, they were devoted to him and they were committed to him and they would watch Jesus being taken down by Joseph of Arimathea. You recall that he is listed there along with Nicodemus going to Pontius Pilate and asking for the body of Jesus because as we've discussed in our previous studies, crucified victims were not treated at all with respect. Usually they were taken down and thrown into a common garbage heap and so joseph who was of the council and also nicodemus ones who were secret disciples as we read in john's gospel would then stand up and say we're going to ask for the body of jesus so they would go to the governor pontius pilate ask for the body of jesus it would be granted permission for them to take care of his body so they took jesus down from the cross began to prepare him for burial they were trying to hurry because sunset was coming and those women that were listed there in matthew or mark chapter 15 were watching nicodemus and joseph prepare the body and then he was put into a tomb owned by joseph of arimathea that tomb had never been used before and so they observed where jesus laid and they would come after that point there is verse 2 once again very early in the morning on the first day of the week they came to the tomb when the sun had risen so when the sabbath was passed the earliest that these women could go to anoint the body of jesus was then on the first day of the week sunday morning now remember as they come to the tomb here early in the morning they are not having any expectation or anticipation of what we know to be the rest of the story that from that time when jesus was put into the tomb and that stone was rolled against the entrance of the tomb till this time sunrise on sunday to those women and to the disciples of jesus it must have been a very dark and empty time for those who loved him the one that they followed, the one that they worshipped, the, the one that they were committed to was dead and was in, put into the grave. And so here, these, these ladies that still continue to show their commitment and devotion to the Lord, the last ones there at the cross as he died for the sins of the world, proved themselves to be the most devoted followers of Jesus as they come now to the tomb very early on the first day of the week. But I'm sure that that Sabbath, Before this first Easter morning, resurrection morning, was truly a very dark day indeed. I'm sure for those who loved the Lord that that Sabbath had really meant that life had lost its meaning. Certainly there was no longer any joy in their hearts on that black Saturday when Jesus lay in the grave. And maybe perhaps there's somebody here that you might feel a little bit of those same things. There's no joy. Maybe you've had a dark few days. Maybe you can look at your life and you're saying, I've had a dark few years recently. And you're going through hard times. And it seems like that you're treading through deep waters. And so here is these devoted followers of Jesus, they have tasted of those dark times in their own lives. But just as we will see in this very familiar familiar chapter these women who came to the tomb full of despair are going to leave with joy and they're going to leave with awe with hope and and hearing from the angel that the lord is alive and we can come into this place as even though we go through tribulations in our own life and we do because jesus said that you will have tribulation but be of good cheer for i have overcome the world And so as we realize that He's alive and we come to Him and surrender our lives to Him, we can come into this place. We can come in perhaps a bit discouraged, distressed, or concerned because of the difficulties that we face in life. But we can leave here full of joy and peace and hope, knowing that our Lord is alive, that He desires to work in our lives, that we can cast all of our cares upon Him. And as you go through those dark and difficult days, remember that there are those in the world that are not believers, that they don't have the Lord in their lives. And they live in that despair and discouragement constantly. Those who have never have experienced the love of the Lord have never surrendered a life to the Lord, who have never been in a place like we are this morning, gathering with others to worship Him and to express His holiness and His faithfulness and His glory and, and feeling the fulfillment and satisfaction that comes by just being in His presence and hearing from Him as we study His Word and then knowing that we have a living hope through the resurrection of Jesus Christ. That Sabbath for these women must have been a day of shattered hopes and broken dreams, and there's fear that's in their hearts, and deep inside, you see, that's the way a lot of the world lives, those who don't have the Lord. This morning, when you came to church, I'm sure that none of you ran into a traffic jam of people trying to get to church, trying to get to a place of of worship. I'm sure that you came in, it it was smooth sailing, and traffic was light, because understand this, that most people that are in this nation and in this community, they don't go to church. They don't have a relationship with the Lord. I know what the statistics say, that 80% of Americans say that they are Christians, but what does that mean? I doubt if 80% of America is Christians, but most people really don't have a true relationship with the Lord, and so they are at home and they're at home day after day and they go through difficulties and and they go through challenges and hard times and in their hearts there's an emptiness and there's unfulfillment and unsatisfaction there's no real true peace that is in their lives and it begins to take a toll on people and they find themselves sinking lower into despair not realizing that there is so much more in life that they can experience and that is to have a relationship with jesus because we were born we were meant to have relationship with god and it comes through jesus christ to realize there's so much more in life to be able to have the privilege and the opportunity as, as we do this morning to come together in the worship to consider jesus to to be lifted up in our hearts and in our spirit do you realize that we are so blessed so these women here those disciples that were hiding crushed and their hopes dashed and we know that there are people all around us that we care about that we work with and live next to and are linked to us in our lives in some way they have no hope and they're discouraged and they live constantly in that state because they don't have a relationship and fellowship with the lord so those disciples and women they had believed in him their hope was in him and and now he's dead You see, for these women here in chapter 16 and for those disciples who were committed to following him for three years, they loved him deeply. It it was a matter of more of redemption and and sanctification and propitiation, those words that we're going to study very carefully when we go through the book of Romans, those words that are very important in our own lives. You see, at this moment here on this first Easter morning, this first resurrection morning, that, that they were ones that they weren't thinking in that way. It was more than that. They enjoyed being with Jesus. They had left everything to follow him. They really missed him. It was more than their messianic hopes being dashed. It was a matter of this one that we are close to, the one that we're committed to, the one that we love. They missed him. They missed him. Yet very early in the morning, they come to the tomb. In the book of Proverbs, in chapter 8, verse 17, it tells them, the Lord declares that I love them that love me, and those who seek me diligently will find me. If you have a King James, it reads, those who seek me early will find me. And these women who loved him and sought him early are going to be the first ones to understand and experience Resurrection Sunday. You who perhaps feel something of of that dark night right now, I'll give you a real practical solution and it's this get up early tomorrow morning and seek the lord get up before the day begins whatever that might mean for your schedule set the alarm a little bit earlier and get up in the quiet of the day and you seek the lord you seek him in that early morning hour I love them that love me, and those who seek me diligently shall find me. And these women, in their time of discouragement and despair and defeat and sadness and confusion, what did they do? They got up early, very early is what Mark tells us, when the sun had risen to anoint the body of Jesus, and they didn't know that he was alive. And how much more should we get up to seek the Lord who know that he is alive? And as we discussed last week, when Jesus cried, it is finished, that that veil in the temple tore in two that would then open up the Holy of Holies where, you see, in the Old Testament, the people couldn't come into the presence of God. That was the, the weakness of it, as the book of Hebrews declares. You see, even the priests couldn't come into the Holy of Holies. That room where the Shekinah glory of God, the tangible presence of God was. But with Jesus crying out it is finished and that veil being rent in two from top to bottom we know that the lord was declaring you can come now boldly into my presence to the throne of grace and you can do it every day and each day we have a privilege and an opportunity to spend time with the lord i hope we realize how blessed we truly are So back to our text here. They're on their way. In verse 3, they said among themselves, Who will roll away the stone from the door of the tomb for us? But when they looked up, they saw that the stone had been rolled away, for it was very large. So the tomb, of course, was sealed with a large stone, probably weighing a couple tons. And Mark says that it was a very large stone. And when they looked up, they they saw that the stone was rolled away. Now remember, they weren't expecting to find an empty tomb. They were asking themselves as they were making their way to that tomb, Who's going to roll away this huge stone from the door of the tomb. And also remember that we know from Matthew's narrative that that stone uh, had been sealed by Rome because the religious leaders, after Jesus was dead, they came to Pontius Pilate and said, listen, he claimed that he was going to rise from the grave. He was going to, to come forth. And so you need to put guards there at the tomb. And so Pontius Pilate granted their request. He put Roman guards there at the tomb to guard the tomb 24 hours a day. And they also sealed the tomb which means that on that stone that had closed the entrance of the tomb very large stone they put probably two leather straps across that stone with the roman seal in the middle of it and if anyone dare come and try to break into the tomb steal the body of jesus try to 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 come and roll that stone away they would have to break that seal and with the roman guards there that is very unlikely that they would do that but also if they got caught it may Meant that they were in big trouble so the women here are making their way to the tomb. They, they, they can't roll away the stone because they're not strong enough. They're wondering who's going to do it. The disciples aren't there to help them because they are still hiding. They're still in their sorrow. They probably you know are, are ones that are hid away at this time. And so they're not going to confront the Roman soldiers. But in Matthew chapter 28, it tells us that it was actually an angel that rolled away this very large stone. And the angel rolled away the stone not to let Jesus out, It wasn't as though Jesus was there pounding on the door, let me out, let me out. No, the angel didn't roll away the stone to let Jesus out, but to show the world that he was already out, that he had risen, so that the others could look in and and see that he was gone. The tomb was empty, and to see the reality of the resurrection. Again, Matthew tells us that it was very early before daybreak. An angel had come and rolled back the stone and sat on it. His countenance was like lightning bright and shining. And when the guards saw that mighty angel there sitting on top of that stone, those who were considered to be brave and those who were guarding that tomb, watching over, make sure no, nobody would break into that tomb and touch that stone with the Roman seal, when they saw that angel Moved that huge stone, it says that they fell as dead men on the ground. And when they came to their senses, they would stumble off and run off into the darkness in fear. And all this had happened right before these women had arrived. And when they got there at sunrise, there was no sign of anyone. And the stone had been rolled away, and the tomb was open and so verse 5 in entering the tomb they saw a young man clothed in a long white robe sitting on the right side and they were alarmed so when they went into the tomb it was empty except for an angel that was there and and it caused the women to be alarmed but he said to them do not be alarmed you seek jesus of nazareth who was crucified he is risen he is not here see the place where they laid him he is not here he is risen In those words that the angel said, he makes it very clear that it was a bodily resurrection of our Lord it wasn't just a spirit resurrection and you see i mentioned that because there have been those false teachers and those cults over the last two thousand years that have come along and they're even around even today that try to argue against the bodily resurrection they claim that what happened is that perhaps that the spirit of jesus rose and now he lives spiritually only but the bible teaches very consistently and very clearly that it was the very body of Jesus that was put into that tomb and it was the body of Jesus that rose from the dead and we know from the other gospel accounts that Jesus told his disciples touch me handle me he said in Luke's gospel handle me for a spirit does not have flesh and bone as you see I have so the scripture makes it very very clear and plain that Jesus rose from the dead bodily jesus said in john chapter 2 in jerusalem he said destroy this temple in three days i'll raise it up again but john goes on to quote he was speaking of the temple of his body so he rose bodily he's going to come back to establish his kingdom he's going to come back bodily physically to this world once again touch down on the mount of olives that mount where he would ascend from so the scripture very clear that jesus bodily rose from the dead he is not here the angel says he is risen Now, there are those who also try to dismiss the resurrection by different theories. They have all kinds of different theories that they come up with. And we won't go into them all this morning. But one of those theories is that Jesus didn't rise from the dead. And the reason was is because... Everybody went to the wrong tomb. In other words, these women went to the wrong tomb. It's called the wrong tomb theory. And because they were so distraught and they were so deep in despair and they had been crying for these three days and their eyes being swollen, they just went to the wrong tomb and they saw a tomb that was empty and they thought, Oh, and their, you know, hopes and in their dreams that, that he's alive and and it, you know, is something that people come up with. But as we look at this very carefully, I think Mark dismisses that theory very, very clearly. Because you recall that last week, I told you, pay attention to the last verse of chapter 15. It was Mary Magdalene, Mary the mother of Joseph, observed where he laid. They knew which tomb that he was in. They watched Joseph of Arimathea and Nicodemus put Jesus into that tomb and rolled a stone and closed the tomb. We know from the gospel narratives that the tomb that Jesus was laid in was not far from Calvary. Matter of fact, it was just down the hill a couple hundred feet. So it's very unlikely that these women went to the wrong tomb, that the disciples went to the wrong tomb, that the Roman soldiers went to the wrong tomb, that the angel went to the wrong tomb. Besides, if everybody went to the wrong tomb, my question is this then why didn't those religious leaders, why didn't the enemies of Jesus say, hey, you guys, you all went to the wrong tomb? We're going to show you the right tomb and show you and prove to you that the body of Jesus is still there. But that didn't happen. That was something, an event that didn't take place when the reports began to circulate around Jerusalem that he had risen. So the resurrection is essential to the Christian to believe. We are to believe the resurrection, and that is the thrust of the gospel, that Jesus bodily rose from the grave. You see, the gospel doesn't just present Christianity as nice stories that are told to us in the Bible that took place there in the first century or the history of mankind. You know, the the gospel isn't just about here are some nice sayings that Jesus said and philosophy by which we are to live by. And people will say, oh, I believe in the Sermon on the Mount. I, I believe in Jesus and what he had to say. And I live in the spirit of Jesus and all of this. The gospel is this. The gospel is something and stresses the fact that the death and resurrection of Jesus Christ is something to believe in and is intended to change lives that's what we're going to read next week when we go into romans chapter one that the gospel is the power of god to salvation for those who believe there is power in the gospel for salvation the change of person's life the resurrection means that jesus was declared to be the son of god with power according to the spirit of holiness by the resurrection from the dead romans chapter one verse four The resurrection means that we have assurance of our own resurrection. For if we believe that Jesus died and rose again, even so God will bring with him those who sleep in Jesus, 1 Thessalonians chapter 4 verse 14. And the resurrection means that Jesus has a continuing ministry. He is able to save to the uttermost those who come to God through him since he ever lives to make intercession for them, Hebrews chapter 7 verse 25. The resurrection means that Christianity is unique, completely different among world religions because no one else died for you no one else rose from the grave the resurrection means that the cross was the payment he died for our sins the empty tomb was the receipt you see the empty tomb validates what jesus did on calvary's cross for us The angel saying, he's not here. He is risen. Come see the place where they laid him. And verse 7, but go tell his disciples and Peter that he's going before you into Galilee. There you will see him as he said to you. Go tell the disciples and Peter, especially Peter. Make sure that you tell Peter. And we need to this morning make a note of that. And you see, you can put your own name in there if you'd like because you remember at this time that Peter, he had denied the Lord a few days before this, right before the crucifixion of Jesus, as we read about that. He cursed about the Lord. He had you know forsaken the lord and peter at this time would certainly feel excluded from any good news at this time any hope of of having a relationship with the lord of being forgiven of being used of the lord because the last time that we saw peter he was in the depths of despair because of his failure the last time that jesus looked at peter was when the rooster had crowed and peter had fulfilled the prophecy of jesus there as jesus in that upper room the last night that he spent with his disciples before he would be arrested there in the garden he said that Peter you're going to deny me three times and Peter wept when it happened and he wept bitterly he thought that his relationship with the Lord was permanently and forever severed Peter who answered the Lord in that upper room I'm not going to deny you Lord these others might but I won't I'm going to stand by you I will die with you if I have to and then as Peter followed the Lord from a distance as Jesus is standing before the council and being beaten, there's Peter in the courtyard of Caiaphas, and he's at the fire. And the servant of the high priest, the, this, this girl who served the high priest, comes up and says, you're one of them, aren't you? You're one of those followers of Jesus. He said, no, I'm not. I don't know what you're talking about. They would again press him and say, you're one of them. He said, no, I'm not. He would get up as he's nervous, and he'd go towards the gate of the courtyard. He's trying to get away from the crowds, but this girl brings others, and they go there, and they say, yes, you are. You're one of them. You have the accent of a Galilean. And he began to curse, and he began to swear, I don't know the man. And it was at that time that Jesus, bloodied and bruised, came out of Caiaphas' house into the courtyard where he looked at Peter while he was denying and while he was cursing. And the rooster crowed, and Peter went away weeping bitterly. Oh Lord, I failed. I failed you, Lord. I'm such a failure. And that was the last time that we saw Peter. And now the first message that comes from the resurrected Lord is this. There was a special little addendum. You go tell the disciples, and you tell Peter, especially Peter. Make sure Peter knows. And this verse, I hope, is a great encouragement to you this morning. For you who perhaps feel like you're the most unspiritual one here today, you might feel like that I have failed and I've pulled away from the Lord and, and I'm cold in my heart towards him. And all this might be going through your mind this morning. This verse is for you, you who feel like, I failed the Lord. The angel would say, now go tell the disciples, and especially Peter, go tell him that the Lord is going before you into Galilee, and you will see him. So the Lord's word uh, to perhaps some that are here this morning. The Lord would say especially to you, You just meet me where I promised I would be. You may be thinking, well, where is he going to be? I love them that love me. And those who seek me diligently shall find me. Go and tell the disciples, and especially you, who perhaps feel disqualified and unworthy, hey, just like he promised, he will be where he said he would, ready to receive you and minister to you. You know all that you need to do? All you need to do is show up. And that's really good news for us. As we continue in verse 8, so they went out quickly and fled from the tomb, and for they trembled and were amazed, and they said nothing to anyone, for they were afraid. Now that word afraid is it's a mistake to think that what's being said here is they were terrified, feeling threatened. The word means They were astonished. They were excited with a trembling awe at what they heard from the angel in the tomb. Whoa, the one that we love is alive. We were so distressed and and discouraged only minutes ago. Things seemed hopeless, and now everything has changed. Everything has changed because they rose up early, and they saw him, not even expecting that he was living. In verse 9, now when he rose early on the first day of the week he appeared first to mary magdalene out of whom he cast seven demons she went and told those who had been with him as they mourned and wept and when they heard that he was alive and had been seen by her they did not believe these disciples who followed after the lord for three years after three days after his death they're still weeping The idea here is they're in deep sorrow. They were broken up. They are hurting because they loved him so deeply. They were committed to the Lord. And now comes the reports back from Mary Magdalene. Hey, I saw him. And they go right back into weeping and sadness because they did not believe. I'll tell you what will rob you of your joy. I'll tell you what will rob you of your peace. What will rob you of your happiness. What will rob you of your rest. It is the thief of unbelief. You just won't believe, and that he is alive, that he loves you. You just won't believe that you're forgiven. You won't believe in the promises that he has for you, that he sits at the right hand of the Father, ever making intercession for you, that his word is true, that he wants to do what is best for you in your life. And when we come to that place where we don't believe in the word of the Lord, we go on weeping in our lives. We might even think, well, your word is true for others, but Lord, certainly you don't want to work in my life. That promise that you have, your word for me, the promise of your love is not for me, not, not for me, not today. Your promise is not for my situation, Lord. Seems like you're working for other people, but for me, no. And we keep on weeping and mourning, and we sink deeper and deeper into discouragement. But it's when we have faith, and faith comes by hearing and hearing by the Word of God. When we have faith in God's promises, knowing that He is alive, what we are reading here this morning, that the tomb is empty, that we're a forgiven people. He's desiring to work in my life. You're going to then experience joy in your heart because I know, Lord, that your word is true. I know that you're alive. And Lord, I know that you sit at the right hand of the Father, ever making intercession for me. Lord, I know that you promise you'll never leave me or forsake me. Your word is true. And you're going to work in my life. And I know I can stand on your promises. And I'm choosing to believe you. And I'm not going to continue in weeping and mourning. But I'm going to rejoice and I'm going to give thanks in all things. And that's a choice that we make. I will believe you, Lord. And if we don't believe in what He says and what the word of the Lord declares to us, then the thief of unbelief comes into my life and, and we begin to say, well, those promises don't apply to me. You know, how's it going to work out practically? Come on, Jeff, forget about it. The thief of unbelief says, Jeff, it's time for you to just continue in your sorrow and mourning. And yes, we go through those times, but here Mary, in that time where she was in her dark time, she's ecstatic because she realizes he's alive. The body of Jesus is gone. These guys didn't believe, and they were robbed of their joy. If they would have believed, they could have moved into that place of rejoicing. They heard that he was alive, and Mary saw him. Mary, who was at the tomb, first thought that Jesus was a gardener. We read about her encounter with Jesus, of course, in John chapter 20. She saw him. She saw the empty tomb. She's ecstatic. She reports this news to those disciples who were weeping, those who loved them. They were committed to him, but unbelief were robbing them of their joy and peace and rest. Faith is believing what God has to say and what Mark chapter 16 declares to us and that God wants to work in our lives and do excellent things in my life. And I'm going to trust in you, Lord, period. I will rejoice. I will rejoice in you knowing that I have a living hope that comes through you. And Lord, I know that you love me because your love was proved to me while I was yet a sinner. Christ died for me on Calvary's cross. And you loved me so much. You loved the world so much that you gave your only begotten son that whoever believes in him should not perish but have everlasting life. So you've proved your love for me, Lord. You're alive and you're working in my life and you're alive today in my heart. In verse 12, after that, he appeared in another form to two of them as they walked and went into the country, and they went and told it to the rest, but they did not believe them either. So here Mark mentions the account Luke gives in fuller detail of the Lord's appearing, uh, the two men on the road to Emmaus. Mark tells us that he appeared in another form, and we know that those two didn't know that it was Jesus that was walking with them and talking with them, and Jesus gave them a teaching, showing from Moses and all the prophets the things that referred to Messiah. But then as they would sit down at the table with him, those two men saw the hands of our Lord as they broke bread, and they recognized their crucified Lord. And Jesus would disappear, and they went back to Jerusalem and told the disciples that, that he's alive, we've seen him. But they continued in their unbelief. Hey, we saw the Lord, you couldn't have. Yeah, he talked with us. No, it can't be. And they kept on weeping. Hour after hour in their needless state of sadness and despair because they did not believe in the reports of the others given to them that he's alive. And the thing that intrigues me is this, that the Lord himself before his crucifixion several times spoke about his dying and his resurrection to his disciples very specifically, didn't he? We saw that as we traveled through Mark's gospel. He said, guys, we're going to go to Jerusalem. I'm going to be handed over to the chief priests and the elders, and I'm going to be put to death, but I'm going to rise again after three days. He never spoke about his crucifixion without also speaking about his resurrection. So here it is, after three days, after his crucifixion, Mary tells them, I've seen the Lord. The tomb is empty. These men come, and they said, we talked with Jesus. We walked with him. He he was there with us. We broke bread with him. And the disciples said, no, it can't be. And they continued in their persistent and stubborn unbelief. And again, many people today are full of despair and discouragement because of persistent unbelief. And it's when we come and we change our mind and say, Lord, I believe that truly you are alive, that your word is true, and I embrace that and believe in your word. And I have reason to now celebrate and have a joy. Oh, yeah, I'll go through dark times. I'll go through difficulties and tribulations. I'll feel sadness and sorrow. Of course we feel those things. But underneath it all, we can rejoice because we have the living Lord living in our hearts and we have a living hope. As we've gone through the Gospel of Mark over the last several weeks, we have studied and read and looked carefully at the words of Jesus. And I hope that as we have, that we would realize that those things that we've read about, that he's instructed us on, that we can look at those things, we can read those things and know that they're true. It was the common people in Mark chapter 12 that heard him gladly. It was those soldiers that came back to the religious leaders, those soldiers who were told to arrest Jesus, and they came back and they said, why don't you have Jesus with you? And they said, never before has a man speaks like this man speaks. Jesus came on the scene and he said, the kingdom of God is at hand, repent and believe in the gospel. He would say to the paralytic, your sins are forgiven. He would give the parables as we have seen so we can understand the truths of the kingdom. He told the disciples who were in a storm in their life there at the Sea of Galilee, why are you fearful? How is it that you have no faith? And he would go on to say, be of good cheer and don't be afraid. He would say to the rich young ruler, give all that you have and give to the poor and come and follow me. He would say that if you want to be great in the kingdom, then you be the servant of all. And last week as we saw, he would cry out from the cross, it is finished. I have paid the price for your sin. I've died for your sins. And as we hear the words of our Lord, do we believe? Do we apply it in our own lives? Is it in our hearts that, Lord, I know that I am forgiven as I come and surrendered my heart to you, as truly I have repented, because the kingdom of God is at hand, and I believe in the good news of the gospel. And I realize that, Lord, it is finished, and that you are alive. And as I go through the storms of my life, that I know that you're with me and I don't have to be afraid. And I give all to follow you, Lord, because I know that's where I'm going to find fulfillment and satisfaction and I'm going to have true joy. Joy is something that is... is deeper than happiness i'm all for happiness but joy is something that you can have even in the midst of difficulties and you see we have that joy we have that peace and we rest in this love and as we journey in our lives as we walk with the lord it becomes a matter of lordship and obedience lord i, I know you love me and i know that you proved it as you died for me and i know your word is true and i know that as i walk with you and as i just fellowship with you and stay close to you that I have reason to rejoice and to celebrate and know that you're going to work in my life. And then all of a sudden the discouragement and despair and hopelessness begins to come out of us and then the joy and and the, the real peace begins to fill our hearts because the Lord is in our hearts and verse 14 later he appeared to the eleven as they sat at the table and they rebuked their unbelief and hardness of heart because they did not believe those who had seen him after he had risen so notice here they rebuked them for their unbelief he did not rebuke them for their denying and all running away and hiding but he rebuked them for not believing in their hardness of heart but the lord who is so good doesn't just leave them there he rebukes them but then he moves quickly lovingly and says to them go and all the world and preach the gospel to every creature get going the commission is to go into all the world and preach the gospel now before when they went out two by two we saw that they only went to the lost sheep of the house of israel now the commission is to go into all the world to preach the gospel the good news that jesus died for your sins and the way to heaven has been made possible and that the lord brings forgiveness and fellowship with the father and in the hope of heaven That's the good news. That's the good news that we get to tell others. And he who believes and is baptized, verse 16, will be saved, but he who does not believe will be condemned. So he who believes the good news will be saved. Now, there's confusion in this verse when Mark reads and writes that those who believe and is baptized will be saved because some have taken this verse and pressed it to the extreme. To say, to be saved, not only do you have to believe, but you have to be baptized, They say if you believe and you're not baptized, well, too bad, then then you're not saved. And what that does is say that salvation is really up to you. You invalidate what Jesus did on the cross. That you're saying that the cross, what Jesus did on the cross, is not sufficient for your salvation. So you have to be baptized. Now notice here that he said, but he who does not believe will be condemned. Mark did not write, those who are not baptized will be condemned. So we need to take the scripture as a whole, and to say that you have to be baptized in order to be saved is totally unsupported by the rest of scripture. Now, baptism is important. It's not essential for salvation, but it is an act of obedience. And what Jesus is saying is that belief ought to be real, and the reality of that inward belief is demonstrated by the outward action of baptism. But you don't Become baptized in order to be saved. It's to show that you are saved, that I identify with Christ, that you do believe. Remember that Jesus told that thief on the cross, Before this day is over, you'll be with me in paradise. He did not say, Sorry, I'd like to take you to paradise with me, but you were all hung up and you didn't get baptized, so too bad for you. For by grace you have been saved through faith, it's not of yourselves. It's the gift of God, not of works, lest any man should boast, Ephesians chapter 2 tells us. Jesus goes on to say here that, and these signs will follow those who believe. And in my name they will cast out demons, they will speak with new tongues, and they will take up serpents, and if they drink anything deadly, it will, will by no means hurt them, and they will lay hands on the sick, and they will recover. So Jesus is saying, notice here that he says these signs will follow those who believe. It does not say those who believe shall follow the signs. There's a big difference here. Believers should not just be running after signs and wonders, particularly if they're charging you a you know pretty penny for you to see the signs and stuff. Just a little word to the wise. Share the good news with everyone. These signs are going to follow. Jesus in verse 17 and 18 is not telling us that we need to hold rattlesnake handling services you know, down in the bayou. That's not what he's saying. There's still some that do that today. You can see it on YouTube or whatever and poisonous snakes and drinking poison and all of this. I don't believe that the Lord ever tells us to deliberately put ourselves you know, in jeopardy to prove our faith. You don't tempt the Lord thy God is what the scripture says. So verse 19, as we finish, then after the Lord had spoken to them, he was raised up into heaven and sat down at the right hand of God. And they went out and preached everywhere, the Lord working with them and confirming the word through the accompanying signs. So they were confirming the word, what was true through the accompanying signs. And so signs, as we see in the scriptures, was used to confirm the truth of what they were declaring the purpose of signs and wonders were to confirm the truth of the message that they were declaring that Jesus had risen from the dead. And he was seen for 40 days as we know from the scriptures and then he would ascend into heaven from the Mount of Olives. He said in like manner as he is ascending that he's going to come back as the message of the angels told the others. He is going to come back again. He will touch down on the Mount of Olives. But right now he's sitting at the right hand of the father where he makes intercession for you and for me he is with us he lives in our hearts we have reason to rejoice he's alive and you know what the greatest sign has been given hasn't it remember in the gospels that those religious leaders came to jesus and said we want to see some spectacular sign he said no sign is going to be given to you except this the sign of jonah Just as Jonah was in the belly of that large fish for three days and three nights, so shall the Son of Man be in the heart of the earth for three days and three nights. In other words, you want a sign, here's a sign, to this generation and to every generation, and that is the sign of the resurrection. The greatest sign has been given to us. The tomb is empty. And so we leave here once again rejoicing in that truth. And so, Father, we thank you. We thank you for your love for us. We thank you that once again, as, as we look at this account of the resurrection and Mark's narrative, that Lord, we have so much to rejoice in. And Lord, even though we can have sadness and difficulties and trials and we get discouraged in life, but Lord, underneath it all, we can have joy because you've given us a living hope.